Next Sunday, we will have no sermon. We're going to have a question and answer time. And what is what our aim is, is to ask questions that maybe you guys have come up in your community groups or maybe to just come up during this attribute series about the incommunicable attributes of God. So you could text your question to the 775-210-8505, and you can do that throughout the week. So you don't have to do it right now. Uh, but you can do it right now. No one's going to judge you for grabbing your phone out. But just uh, if, if anything's come up, if there's something that you wonder about any of these attributes of God that we've looked at, we invite you to text that number. Um, and we're going to keep that up. That's going to be up on the slides during the sermon, so you have plenty of chance to, to write that number down. Um, and with that, uh, we're going to move into a time of reading God's Word. So we're going to invite Mr. Valdez to the stage uh, you guys notice that we have, we have all kinds of people reading God's Word, right? And, and some people might think, hey, why is a kid coming up here to read God's Word? It's important to us to recognize that we're a diverse people in, in age, in race, in financial background. All these things, we, we represent a diversity in the kingdom of God. And Jesus held children in high regard. So we're glad to have you reading. You ready? All right, cool. Good morning. Today we will be in Malachi 3.6. Please turn to page 802 in the Bibles around the room. When I am done reading, I will say, this is a reading of God's word. And you will respond by saying, thanks be to God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This is a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for, for not changing and always being the same. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Good morning, Livingstones Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, it's one of those mornings, huh? All right. Well, my name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Livingstones. It's really good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Greg, actually, he just walked out the door, um, but today's his birthday. I was going to super embarrass him, um, and I think he knew. I think that's why he ran so fast. So, but when he comes back in, we're going to sing him happy birthday or something silly like that. Anyway, um, good morning. So we are closing out our sermon series, looking at the incommunicable attributes of God. Uh, and the one we're focusing on this morning uh, is that God is unchanging. God is immutable, as that term would go. Uh, and these incommunicable attributes of God are attributes of God that are unique only to him. There's nothing else in all of creation that can say that it's unchanging. Everything is affected by change. And uh, if I'm being honest, as we've been going through this sermon series and I've been trying to wrap my mind around all these attributes of God, I've just, I've been like simultaneously encouraged and challenged. Uh, and I don't know if that's just me. I don't know if y'all found yourselves there too. Oh, I'm the only slow one. Okay. No, really, it's, it's. I think the most important thing that I've walked away with about this sermon series uh, is that I'm just walking away with this sense of awe about God. Like there's, there's no other God like our God. And I think that's what we need most in our faith these days is just to be awestruck about the personality of who God is. 
And as I was preparing for preaching this morning, uh, I once again had this weird combination of, of comfort and confusion about the immu- uh, immutability of God or the fact that he's unchanging. And I was thinking about it because uh, I don't know if some of you know, I love basketball. Uh, I, I play basketball all my life, uh, and I dare any of you to challenge me. I dare you. I will break you off something quick. I love basketball. Um, but as I've been playing lately, uh, my body just doesn't respond the way it used to. Like I played this past Monday, and for some reason, both of my Achilles hurt all week long. And I've been hobbling around like I'm 89 years old, and it's been terrible. Didn't used to be like that. I used to be in my 20s. I'd play from sunrise to sunset, and it, and it wouldn't affect me in any kind of way. But now I play for an hour, and I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> Things change. Things continually change. I'm realizing that my body doesn't do what I want it to do anymore. God's not like that, though. From eternity past until way beyond when our concept of what time is stops, God will still be God. He will be the same. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Before anything was, God is. Now, that's not just some lofty theological mind trip I'm trying to take you on. It's also, it has impact for our daily lives. So if I had to put a name on my sermon today, I would call it this. Our hope is in God's unchangeableness. Our hope is in God's unchangeableness. And you can see uh, some of the points that I'm going to take us through. I like to call that my roadmap of where I'm going to take us through. The fact that God is immutable. We're not. What I really want to say is we ain't. And we need a Savior. God is immutable. We're not. We need a Savior. But our hope is in God's unchangeableness. I almost named this sermon, Our Only Hope is Not a New Hope, but that was entirely too Star Warsy, and <laughs> I just didn't go that direction. And I cannot promise that there won't be another Star Wars reference somewhere in this sermon, because it's through the grace of God that I am what I am. Um, so here we go. We're going to look at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Um, as young Mr. Luke read for us, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Um, this is just one verse. So we're really going to dig into this verse. Because I think it's, there's so much within it. There's so much richness about who God is. We would do a disservice by just reading over it. So let's look at it really in depth. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. My first point is that God is immutable. He says, I, the Lord. Who is, who is this? What does this word mean, Lord? For those of you who may be new to church or maybe new to reading your Bibles, this word, Lord, translates into Yahweh. That word means I am. When Moses, who is in the desert, we look at the book of Exodus, Moses is in the desert, and as God is saying to Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt and rescue my people. And Moses says, who should I tell the people who sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. God says, I, I just am. In other words, uh, God is saying, there's never been a time where that hasn't been true. I was I am before time began. I'm the I am in the here and now, regardless of of what you feel or what you're going through, your your trials or tribulations, I just am. 
And regardless of what happens down the road, I'm still going to be I am. Tell them I am sent you. Nothing has ever, nor will it ever, change about God. Everything we know about God will always be true about him. He just is. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So when God is saying this, uh, it's, it's him talking about his immutability. And that immutability is the underpinning of every other attribute that we've studied about him. Everything that we know about God, everything we've talked about, his omnipotence, his, his omnipresence, all those things, they will never change. There will never be a time when it's not true. And there's so many ways that I can go in this direction, uh, but I know some of y'all are like, man, I got some burritos to get to, so I'm going to need you to hurry it up a little bit. So here's what I'm going to do. There's two aspects about God's immutability that I see here in this text. And it's the fact that God is immutable in his character and in his purposes. God's immutability in his character means that God is consistent and reliable. God's consistency uh, is his ability to remain the same regardless of our circumstances. So no matter what happens, God is not phased by what happens in our world. It doesn't matter whether we're getting advanced in our, in our, in our technology. It doesn't matter if our beliefs are, are changing. It doesn't matter what our politics are, our, our feeble attempts at righteousness. It doesn't matter about our fear and anxiety. It doesn't matter about our academic philosophical discussions about how he doesn't exist. God is consistent. He's immutable. He will not change. I love it. I'm in the military, and I love it when uh, people who don't believe in God, they come up to me and say, I, don't, I just don't believe God's real. And I kind of smile. And inwardly, I'm saying some other stuff, but <laughs> I don't care what you feel. God is consistent, and he will not change. God is also reliable. Reliability, I like to say, is trust put into action. It's one thing to trust in someone, but when you're really relying on them, you're putting that trust into action. Reliability is what happens when we open ourselves up to someone or or start to depend on them for some kind of need that they can provide for us. So when, God is, when I say that God is reliable, I'm saying that uh, we, we get an opportunity to trust him to act for our best interests on our behalf. It's one thing to be uh, consistent, but man, to be reliable and consistent, that's, that's something only God has. I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week, me and my wife, before we had kids, we went to Yellowstone National Park. I don't know if some of you have been there before, um, but there's the geyser there, Old Faithful, right? Uh, and they call it Old Faithful because ever since the year 1870, uh, it's been going off every 44 minutes to two hours. Every 44 minutes to two hours, it's been erupting since, since we discovered it in 1870. Well, it's faithful. It's, con- it's consistent, right? Um, but if you know anything about what that geyser is, there's a super volcano that's underneath it uh, that at any point in our history, it's going to erupt. We'd be a fool to rely on Old Faithful and that super volcano that's underneath for life and prosperity and joy. Uh, one day it's going to erupt and destroy everything. Hopefully that didn't freak anybody out. <laughs> this, this is the thing, though. 
But God's not like that. God is like a super volcano, don't get me wrong, but he's consistent and he's reliable and he loves his people and he works for their best interests. Yes, God will give joy and peace and grace to the people he loves and yes, he will bring wrath and destruction for those who reject him. God is consistent and he's reliable, but we can trust him as well. God is also unchanging, uh, not only is un, he's unchanging in his character, but also in his purposes. If we look at the, the context of this text, um, it's always been God's intention to redeem a people for himself, to, to set aside a remnant of people from amongst all people. It's always been God's intention. And if you look back at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, You'll see it there. You'll see that uh, from this text that God's purpose was to send his special messenger to those remnant of people. And this messenger, he was the messenger of a better covenant, a better relationship to come and bring purification and judgment on behalf of his people. Now, we're looking at this through New Testament eyes when we're looking at Malachi. And we know that this special messenger that God is sending is Jesus. Jesus. The word of God that put on flesh. The second person of the Trinity. The God who's who's holding all things together through the power of his word. The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Not just for the Jews that were in Malachi's time. This is a good word for all people everywhere. Through the entire span of time, this special messenger has come to deliver this new covenant. And like Ephesians 1 says, that before anything in existence had been established, God had a plan to adopt a family for himself. It's the good news for all creation. This unchanging God, he's he's consistent and reliable. He's not bound by space or time, and he has chosen for himself a people to redeem as his special prize. But... As we're looking at this, and this is what I struggled with all week long, um, and maybe as you were in your community groups, you struggled with it too, uh, there does seem to be times when God changes. Like as we're looking at the Bible, right, we, we look back in the book of Exodus, and, and the children of Israel are at the base of the mountain, and they're, they're worshiping a foreign God that they made with their own hands, and God tells Moses, man, leave me alone for a minute. I'm about to wipe them out. I am sick of their stuff. And we might say that's a little abrupt by God, but he spent the last 40 years listening to them moaning and complaining. He says, after all I sent them through, they're going to do this. Leave me alone, Moses. So there's that time, right? Or, or there's the time when, when God said that he was sorry for creating men in the first place, and he sends a flood to wipe out all of humanity, except for one family. In those times, isn't God changing his mind? That's, what I, that's kind of what I've been wrestling with all week. Um, But here's the thing about the immutability of God. Um, We're talking about the core of his character when we say this. We're talking about the core of who he is. That doesn't mean that he's like a statue or or that he's void of emotion. God goes through these, these ranges of emotion, but the core of who he is, his character does not change. He's active in our lives. He has emotions like, like love and wrath, and yet at the same time, he is the unmoved mover. He's orchestrating all of life around us. 
So even though God is immutable in his character, he responds to us differently in the situations that we're going through. And thank the Lord that he does, right? Like, what would happen if, if like, I don't even want to say it like that. God gives us his grace when we deserve his wrath. God looks at us, and he, he looks at the evil that happens in this world, and we think that evil is getting away with it. And he's like, don't worry about it. I've got wrath stored up for them. God knows what we need, when we need it, and he gives it to us just at the right perfect time because he is consistent in his character. And could you imagine what it would be like if God did change? Man, we'd be in trouble. What if God just happened on a whim one day to change his mind about saving you? What if he decided one morning to let you go? What if he decided... Just, just on a whim, uh, that he, or bef- remember before you were saved? Remember that life you were living? What if he wasn't the one who chased you down? What if, he, what if he waited for you to make the decision to come to Christ? Imagine how that would have gone. If God didn't overwhelm your sinful state and pour his grace on you. What would happen, if, if, what would happen about our attitude about God if he found out something new about himself? And had to adjust. What would happen if Jesus were to change his mind about coming back for his bride? And we'd be in trouble. God does not change. He is immutable. We can rely on him. But I can't say the same thing about us. God is immutable, but we ain't. Now, it says here in this verse, God is saying, uh, I do not change. By implication, uh, because we're not like God, it means that we're always changing. Man, it's constantly changing. Everything we know about life is built around its tendency to change. Our kids grow up, and they're, you know, they're cute little terrorists when they're born, and they want all this stuff from you. Uh, and then they grow up, and now they're a big terrorist, and they're doing all this weird stuff, and... And they grow up some more, and, and then they're on stage preaching about the immutability of God. Appreciate my mom on that one. <laughs> what about, uh, like, things, things just change. Things change, and we, so like we, we stand in front of a pastor on our wedding day, and we, we exchange our vows, and we talk about how we're to love our spouse for better or for worse, regardless of what comes. I'm going to love you. And then a few years later, uh, we're demanding a divorce. Things change. Or how about when Disney buys out the Star Wars franchise and everything falls apart? (laughs) Everything changes. But the story of our our ultimate change comes from man's story way back in the garden. And it was there that even though we were created in the image of God, we rebelled against God and we lost our ability to choose anything that pleased God. Man had changed toward God, not just relationally, but in spirit and in purpose. So now instead of glorifying God and enjoying his presence forever, we hide from God and glorify ourselves and other things that that are created too. We don't give God the glory he deserves. We're actually the opposite of God in that. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, he became a, an opponent of God's good rule. And since we share in Adam's DNA, we now share in that same rebellion. 
The Bible actually goes on to call us enemies of God. So instead of living in the image of God's likeness, we live in the image of Adam's rebellion. Not like God, but unlike him. Not living in the presence of an unchanging God, but embracing change instead of God. In fact, we're so unlike God that sometimes we even talk about the fact that things are unchanging. We talk about them like they're a bad thing. I remember, uh, so Jonathan Edwards, he's this theologian. He once said that uh, the immutability of God provokes enmity within sinners. Like something about the enmity, the, the immutability of God just kind of rubs us the wrong way. We want, we want to rebel against it. And I think that's true. There, there's something in ourselves when we see God and we see that he's unchanging. We just want to rebel against that. Like when people try to live this holy, righteous life, we, we accuse them of being old-fashioned or outdated or they're a fundamentalist or uh, they're just not progressive or they're stuck in their ways. And we've even gone so far as to say uh, that God made mistakes, even though he's unchangeable, God made mistakes when he crafted our DNA, and so we need to change and correct God's mistakes. As if God is the one who's making mistakes. But God is immutable. Instead of trusting God and pursuing him, we pursue our own Uh, ever-changing desires. Where God is consistent and reliable, we're inconsistent and unreliable. And then we project ourselves onto God thinking he must be the same way. And we say stuff like, man, if I do this, then God will dot, dot, dot. You can fill in the blank. Or man, if I don't don't live my life this way, God is going to change his mind about me. Church, the Bible says that God has loved you with a love that is from everlasting to everlasting. He will not change. And I don't want to sit here and make it seem like change is a bad thing, right? Change is one of those things that doesn't, it's not good or bad. Matter of fact, God is using it. He's banking on it, actually. Because the the state that we were in before we met Christ has to change in order to get us into the presence of God. We can't remain the same. I love it that churches say, come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. You have to change in order to come into the presence of God. It's our ability to change that God is using to give us this heart of flesh. To take off the old man and put on a new man to take us from being sons and daughters of the devil to adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. Can you imagine what would happen if we were stuck in this sinful state, never able to get out of it? Like, Can you imagine Christ shedding his blood on the cross, crying out for his Father to forgive us for that we don't understand what we're doing, but we're not able to change internally? It'd be a waste Christ, the unchangeable one, through his life, death, and resurrection, has entered into our reality, overridden our original programming, given us this new heart, a new life, and this new outlook, this new hope that one day he's going to come back and redeem a people for himself so we can spend eternity with him in heaven. It's the good news of the gospel. We need a savior to do that, though, because we we couldn't, nor would we, 
try to fix these problems on our own. We actually enjoy our sin. Or, like, is that the truth? Am I lying? Satan does attempt us with stuff that we don't enjoy. He knows what our desires are. He knows what our sinful flesh wants. Those are things he tempts us with. So we'd rather return to our own vomit than to pursue God's holiness. So we need a Savior. And that's where we come back into the text. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Actually, it starts with therefore. And I, I like what my wife says when she comes into uh, a therefore in the Bible. She says, I, I like to pause and figure out what the therefore is therefore. Um, so that's what we're going to do. What's that therefore, therefore? As we look at uh, this text, one of the things that we pick up is that this is the last book of the Old Testament. And God is, is recounting his promises that he made to his people all the interactions he's had with them, all the times that we saw God breaking through reality, all the times when God was faithful and we weren't, all of them, every single one of them, were stories of grace about how God loves his people and wants a remnant for himself. And I'll be honest, man, that, that thought hit me like a ton of bricks this week because I start recounting stories throughout the Bible when it just seemed like God was just like, just going for it. Like the times when he, he, uh, he exercised his wrath against Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed the entire place, and, and turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. That was a story of God's grace, retaining a remnant for himself. Or what about when God flooded the whole earth, but yet again he saved one family, story of his grace. Or what about when he, he sent the people, uh, his, his entire nation, into slavery, into Babylon? But even in the midst of Babylon, he says, I know the plans I have for you. I'm not going to leave you, even there. Or even when he split the kingdom into two parts, he still retained for himself the kingdom of Judah. That was, that was still worshiping his holy name. God retaining a remnant for himself. So what God is saying here. When he's saying, therefore, he's thinking back to the times when, when he sent judges to save the people, and they just, they just failed to do anything. He's thinking back to the time when he would send his word to the prophets, and they would change what he was saying. He's thinking back to the priest he would send to, to give offerings, and they would, they would just ruin the offerings. He's thinking back to his people who he told the tithe, and they wouldn't even bring the full tithe into the storehouse. All of it. God says, I'm consistent. I still haven't changed my mind about you. I still love you. All those things were stories of God's great grace. Him retaining a people for himself. It's always been God's intention. That's why that therefore is therefore. So he says, since I want to retain a remnant for myself, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Uh, this children of Jacob, I don't know if you guys know the story, so I'm going to do, oh man, a brief history lesson. But y'all put a black pastor up here, so I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so in the book of Genesis, God uh, chooses this man called Abraham. Abraham's this old dude living in the middle of the desert, uh, doesn't know who God is. God just says, amen, let's roll out. And Abraham says, let's go, let's go. 
And so uh, God tells Abraham, he makes him this promise. He says, I'm going to use your family to bless every other family on earth. That's exactly what God does. Uh, Abraham, super old man. I don't really want to picture it, but he has some kids. Um, One of those kids, his name is Isaac. Isaac has some kids. um, One of their names is Jacob. Um, and Jacob is, is who we're coming to right now. And Jacob, he's just, a, he's just an upstanding young man, if you know the story of Jacob. Uh, he ends up stealing from his brother, uh, and his brother wants to kill him, so he takes off on the run, uh, and he runs into his uncle. He steals from his uncle, uh, and he goes off on the run again, but this time he's returning home. But when he's coming home, uh, he's got with him uh, 12 babies and four baby mamas. And, and here's the thing, why I wanted to say it like that, um, and maybe somebody like really needs to hear this today, because I know I need to hear it this week. God is consistent in his promises, even when we make a mess of our lives. God is consistent, even when we're not. And so God is making this promise to Abraham that, that things are going to continue through his family. And so we see it through the Old Testament. We see it roll out. God continues his blessing through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and on through his children. Even when God goes to change Jacob's name to Israel, we see the rest of the Old Testament play out that God is interacting with the children of Israel. God's original promise to Abraham was that all the nations on earth would be blessed through his family. But then as we see it play out, we see the people, they're not, they're not going out to tell the other people about how, how great God is. They're keeping it in-house. They're keeping the glory of God to themselves. And so at the end of Malachi, we, we turn the page, and the next thing we come to is the introduction of Christ. And Jesus, he lives this this perfect life following every part of the law to perfection. He he lives this life. He he dies on the cross. He's buried and he's resurrected and he ascends back into the the Father. And then when he does, he sends his Holy Spirit. And what we see in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit explode out over all the nations, bringing people into the family of God, just like God had always intended. And so now it says that through Christ, even though we weren't born into the Jacob of family and have his blood running through our veins, we're grafted into the family of Christ through the bloodline of Christ, through the blood that he shed on the cross. Now all the promises that God made to the children of Jacob, they apply to us too. So when we read this, when we read the Bible, when we're saved by God, all of those promises that God was making to the children of Israel, they belong to us too. Praise God. We can trust God when he says, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even though all, all the stuff you've done wrong, you're still not consumed because of my great love for you. In Christ, we see the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the entire world through the family of Abraham. And he says here, he says, uh, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This word consumed here is actually pronounced uh, kala in the the original language. I don't know if I pronounced that right. 
I just got the, like, the phonetic thing in my notes. But it means to, to bring something to its end, to, to complete it, to say it's finished. So this verse is saying, because I'm immutable, you are not brought to an end. Because I don't change, you're not, you're not done yet. I still have more to do with you. And that's an incredible promise. Because remember where we are in this biblical narrative, right? Like I said, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And there's only one chapter left before the entire Old Testament closes. And for 400 years, God is silent. There's over 400 years between the ending of the Old Testament to the opening of the new. And for that entire time, there's no prophets telling people what God is saying. There's no priest that are saying your sins are forgiven. People are just left in silence. But the last thing they have from God is him saying, I don't change. So you're not consumed. You're not done yet. I still love you, even when you fail to display your love to me. And so for over 400 years, people are like scratching their heads, wondering, okay, when's God going to bring this special messenger? What's going to happen? Things are getting bad. People don't believe anymore. People are falling away. They, they don't fear God anymore. When are you coming back? Anybody ever wonder that? You ever look at what's happening around you? People don't fear God anymore. They're not concerned about holiness. They're not concerned about what God thinks about a situation. And things are bad. They're not getting better. People are dying. And right in the middle of their doubt, right when it was the most tempting to call God a liar, the New Testament opens up with the birth of this promised Messiah. Jesus, born of a virgin mother, laid in a manger of all places. God in the flesh, yet still retaining his deity. He's sent by God to seek and save the lost. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that in the same way that the Father is immutable, Christ is his exact imprint. He shares in that exact immutable character. Jesus doesn't change either. It means Jesus doesn't change in his mission to come and seek and save the lost, to redeem a people for himself that he's had in mind since before the foundation of the earth. His plans haven't changed. I mean, that's good news. That means that the mess that we make of our lives, some of us spend 30, 40 years making a mess of our lives, and yet and still Christ has had us on our minds since before we were ever even thought about by anybody else. And he says, but they're mine. Jesus doesn't change in his love. And man, I, I'll be honest. I woke up this morning and I, just, I, was, I was bogged down by this crushing weight and this lie that was being whispered to me that God does not love you. And I was able to look that lie in the face and call it out for what it was. Because right here it says that God is unchanging. Christ does love me. There's, there's this uh, lady 
She's a singer. Her name's Alicia Keys. Um, maybe some of you have heard of her. Dwayne, I'll explain it later. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and her first, on her first album, her first song uh, was called Fallen. Uh, and the lyrics, it went like this. Uh, I keep on falling in and out of love with you. Sometimes I love you. Sometimes you make me blue. Sometimes I feel good. Most times I feel used. Loving you, darling, keeps me confused. Man, God, Jesus isn't like that. He's not confused about why he loves you. There's no way that he falls in and out of love with you. He loves you consistently and reliably. There's nothing that will ever change about his love for you. Nothing. You cannot outsend the grace of God. Even at your worst, God is loving you. Ephesians 3, 17 says it like this. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in his love, Paul is praying that they would know that you, being rooted and grounded in his love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's no way that this love stops. There's nothing that overcomes this type of love. Nothing changes about God's love for you. Jesus died to love you. Jesus also won't change in his promises. The great hope that we live with in this life is that Jesus is going to return. And since Jesus doesn't change, man, we live with hope for his arrival. That's a promise that he's going to keep. We await the day when we could take off this perishable body and it could be put away and we could put on the unchangeable, imperishable body that he promised us. Like I look forward to the day when I don't have to wake up with my ankles hurting. Golly, it's dumb. I look forward to the day when I don't have to cry that one of my friends has cancer. I look forward to the day when my friends don't have to worry about where their children are that night because they've run away. First Corinthians 15.50 says this. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up by victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? On the cross when Jesus was hanging there, and he's taking the full wrath of God, not just the physical wrath of God, but the separation from the Father. 
Everything that we experience in this life, Jesus is taking on his shoulders. And then in his anguish, he yells out, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. Everything is complete. The Lord didn't change in his promises because it was always his intention to send his son to the cross on our behalf to bring him to an end so we wouldn't have to be. Death is swallowed up in victory. When we're in Christ, we are not consumed. But man, there's a dire warning for those who are not in Christ. We look back at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, when he means by arrogant, those who they'd rather trust in themselves and their own works rather than trusting in God. All the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming. It shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them root nor branch. If you don't know who Christ is this morning, if you've been toying with, man, is God for me? Is, is God's, the fact that he doesn't change, is, is that, will that be a benefit to my life? Yes. For the love of God, yes. Please come to Christ. Saints, as we get ready to leave out today, and we head out into our week, I want us to really meditate on God's unchanging character. This series has been, it's been awesome. Uh, I want you to go back and listen to some of the sermons. I want you to write down some questions. I want you to text them to us. I want us, I want us to engage on, on God's character because there's so much to it. We haven't, we, we haven't been able to scratch the surface of who God is through these sermons. And really, I want you to ask yourself, what are some ways that God's immutability has been a blessing for you? Maybe it's the fact that he's been consistent and reliable and seen you through some really tough times. Maybe it's that even though you've been inconsistent, that God has always been there. I want you to, I want you to wrestle with this characteristic of God as you leave this week. Because the more we meditate on his holy attributes, the more it drives us to worship this independent, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and immutable God. Amen? Man, please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your word this morning. As short as this text is, man, there is so much here. Thank you so much, God, that you don't change. Um, even in the face of, of our inconsistency and uh, our fickleness, um, you still remain the same. God, as we head out into this week, I pray that you engage us all in, in different ways. Show us how you're immutable, God. Show us how your love for us will never change. There's people right now uh, in this congregation, God, that are wondering whether or not you're still with them. Make yourself known to them, God. How we lift, uh, I lift this sermon up to you. I pray that you use it to change the hearts of people that you've been pursuing. 
God, I love you. But please help me in the times when I don't show it. It's through the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.